0: Lord Jesus Christ, we're here to meet with you today. We're, um, we're here to meet with you through the power of your Holy Spirit. We understand that he is the one who brings us into a real and true sense of your presence. And Lord, we're here to hear from you. And we know that every time we open the Bible, we hear you talking to us. So this morning as we get ready to turn our attention to your word. Lord, I pray you'd talk to us today. And God, give us, open up our ears so that we can hear what you're saying. You know that in a lot of ways in our nature, we don't. Lord, you know in our nature, we want to keep working on the thing that we're working on. And we want you to bless the thing that we're doing. Lord, I pray that today help us to set that down off to the side and to focus our attention on what you're doing. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you do me a favor before you sit down? Would you reach out? Welcome somebody who's right around you. Maybe meet, meet someone new, a name you don't recognize. All right. Okay, today I want to talk to you uh, out of a chapter in Genesis where we're going to meet a very, very, very wicked man. And I want to ask you a question, what, what do you think a real, a real terrible person looks like? Like if you were to look in the Bible and if there was going to be someone who, I mean, really honestly um, wanted to and actually had... Um, A desirous relationship With the spiritual being That the Bible calls the devil If a person Was going to be in league with the devil And I don't mean this like um, I'm not talking about the way that that guy on the Grammys Dressed up in a horn outfit And a little, you know That's wicked for, that is wicked Okay Um, But how threatening is that really? You know, what's that guy Really going to do? Right, but if you, if you were ever to, if you ever to see a person, and they they were in league, working in partnership with the real and evil supernatural power called the devil, what would they be like? You know, when I was growing up in high school, we were certain that it was Ozzy Osbourne. It was circulating around the fifth grade lunch table at one of his concerts, he bit the head off a bat. And we were certain that, okay, the Antichrist has come, you know. What would he look like? You know, what, what, what would a human person in real league with real supernatural evil, what would he look like? What would he do? And today, we're, what we're going to do, we're going to open up in the, in the first chapters of Genesis. And I want to remind you. When we're looking at the first stories of Genesis, if you grew up in a Christian home, and I'm guessing a lot of people in here did, we got a mental picture of a lot of the opening stories of the Bible from a children's Bible. And children's Bibles are good because they summarize and kind of break things down. But one of the dangers that happens is then when we open up, um, as adults, when we open up the Bible to, to repeat and reread these same stories, we can continue to think about them as little children's stories. So today, I'm just kind of wondering, if if you had a picture in your mind of the Tower of Babel, you know, didn't it look like the Leaning Tower of Pizza, maybe eight stories high? Maybe there was 20 people working on it in, you know, in a tunic and no shirt on. What we need to do is we need to leave these kind of childish ways of looking at the Bible and recognize that there was a human ruler who was at the core of what was being built there. And he was evil. And he was evil in a way that was not pitchfork and a horn, nor was he playing rock and roll music and biting the head off of a bat, okay? Uh, It just a real, he was a real simple thing. He said, hey guys, let's all, let's get together and build a great civilization and let's make our own way to get up into heaven. The Bible tells us that real evil, I mean, a real evil human character will invite you to go up to heaven. He will will promise things that you really want. And, and what makes it evil is something subtle And something important This story of the Tower of Babel is not a children's story It's not a simple story It's a deep and profound story And one of the reasons why is because The God who comes down to look on the tower Is the same God that we were just singing about right now And And the people Who all worked together To build this civilization Fundamentally they are exactly the same as you and I and so I'm going to ask you, if you have your copy of God's Word, um, if you take out your, your copy of it and open up to Genesis chapter 11, actually we're going to start in the first verses of chapter 10, I'm going to ask that you would uh, stand to your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word. Now when we stand to our feet and we say, this is God's Word, one of the things that we mean by that is, this is true, that what this chapter tells us is, is factually accurate and true. And... Um, This chapter is going to tell us why why people all over the earth speak different languages. Why they worship different gods. Genesis chapter 10 verse 32. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. We're going to come back to that. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad. two years after the flood. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that our... um, Lord, we understand that even though these words are intelligent and they make sense, they're put together in sentences with subjects and predicates, there, there is a logic here. We know that that's not the way that we gain wisdom from you. So Lord, even though these words are going to go into our ears and into our minds, and even though I'm going to be asking us to think about what these sentences mean, we know that nothing of any eternal value happens unless we're sitting here and I'm giving this sermon and everybody here is receiving this sermon unless it's happening in faith. So Lord, let us, let us be taught by you today. Let us be like the people who listen to Jesus teach and said, we just never heard anyone like this. And Lord, I pray that the voice that we all hear is not mine. I pray that your voice would come through your word. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, today's going to be the last sermon in the first half of our Genesis series. Next week, we're going to start preparing our minds and hearts to celebrate the resurrection and to talk about Easter. Uh, And then after Easter, then we'll come back for part two. And part two is going to pick up with with Abraham uh, and the rest of the patriarchs. So this is the last part of part one. But this is... um, One reason why this is really fitting is because this chapter in Genesis 11 is drawing on and pulling from so many things from the chapter before that. I'm going to try to do the best I can to reach back and pull some of these themes through, and then especially to bring them home to where we are right now, because this story is not just about them. This is about us. So, the sermon's going to have three parts if, you're, uh, if you want to track along, if you're a note-taker. Uh, I'm going to talk about what the people did, I'm going to talk about what God did, and then what we need to do. So, what, what the people did, what God did, and what we need to do. Um, have you ever wondered why so many people live all around the world and speak different languages? Have you ever wondered, how did the Chinese people figure out how to write in those characters that make no sense to us? The Bible has an answer to that question. And the Bible tells us that there's a reason for it. God did it. And and God did it in a a response, a response to a great and terrible event that happened right here. And we're reminded in... uh, the last uh, verses of chapter 10 That these are the sons of Noah Eric uh, Jarvis, Pastor Eric did a wonderful job last week I was watching the sermon from, uh, from vacation in California Did a wonderful job with that sermon And one of the things that he pointed out in that sermon Is that um, we're not different than these people things that, The things that they're tempted with The things that they struggle with The main thing that they have to do is this, It's the same thing that we've got to do and so even though the flood changed the face of the earth, what it did not change is it didn't change the basic functioning of the human heart. And these people right here in this chapter have the same functioning heart that you and I do. These are, these are the sons of Noah. Now, in chapter 11, verse 1, it says the whole earth had one language and the same words. And the Bible has um, many different ways to, uh, to talk about um, language, one of, the, one of the words that the Bible uses for talking about languages is sometimes it uses the symbol of the physical object of the tongue in our mouth. So sometimes if the Bible wants to talk about languages, it'll say that uh, they talk with different tongues. In fact, all through chapter 10, we find these different breaks where... Um, and if you've never done this, you, it, it'd be a helpful exercise. Um, in fact, if you have your Bible, I want you to just take your finger... And go to uh, Genesis 10, verse 6, just a few verses back. Sometimes when you get to a list of genealogies in the Bible, isn't there something in your heart that's like, I can skip over this. I can't even pronounce three quarters of these things. And what does it matter, right? But one of the things that we believe here is that the Bible is perfectly fit together, which means that every word of it, no, no word is wasted here. All scripture, every bit of it is breathed out by God. Genesis chapter 10 verse 6. The sons of Ham. You learned all about Ham last week. One of his sons' name was Cush. One of his sons' name was Egypt. Do you ever wonder why the nation of Egypt is called the nation of Egypt? The Bible tells us. Because Ham's son was named Egypt. And he founded the city that was there. The nation that was there. And that nation took on his name. Uh, In the nation of Egypt, I had the privilege uh, a couple weeks ago sitting down with a Christian pastor who's uh, leading Arabic ministry in Cherry Hill. Uh, He's from Egypt. He told me that there's more Christians in Egypt than any other religious belief system. Did you know that? And one of the things that he reminded me of is that Egypt is a very old country. We, We understand that. And the Bible tells us right here the reason why the country of Egypt is named Egypt is because Ham's son, his name was Egypt. Uh, put, and then uh, look at the last name of that list, Canaan. Do you think the name Canaan is going to come up anywhere else in the Bible here? Why were the Canaanites called the Canaanites? Because they were, they were descendants from one man, Canaan. What I'm, what I'm trying to do here is to point out that the Bible is not attempting to tell us a poem or an epic tale. Like Homer's Iliad. The Bible is telling us world history. It's explained to us. This is why the world is the way that it is. Now, three different times in chapter 10 when the Bible wants to say that the people are living now all around the world and they're forming different countries and those countries' names are coming from who their sort of founding father was. One of the things it tells us each time is it says, okay, that list I just gave you, this is a list of their clans and their nations and their languages. And in chapter 10, the word that the Bible uses for their languages is this is their tongue. That's one of the ways that the Bible talks about uh, the variation of languages. But that is not the word that is used here in chapter 11, verse 1, when it says, now the whole earth had one language. The word that, that Genesis uses in chapter 11, verse 1 says, now the whole earth had one lip and the same words. See, the Bible has two different ways of talking about languages. On one hand, it can talk about languages using tongues, and in another way, it can talk about languages using lips. And most often in the Bible, when the writer wants to talk about a language of the lips, a language of the lips is the language of worship. So in chapter 10 it tells us that already the people are speaking different languages but in 11 verse 1 it says that they have one lip which I take to mean that they had one religious belief. And we're going to find out that this religious belief is built on a rebellion against God. As the people migrated from the east, this is verse 2. As they migrated from the east, every time in the Bible that, especially in Genesis, when you hear about people moving east, moving east is moving away from the garden sanctuary of God. It's moving away from God. They moved east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. We know now that the land of Shinar is modern day Iraq. They've moved quite a ways east. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Now, they didn't just say this to themselves. In chapter 10, we get introduced to a man. His name is Nimrod. And the Bible tells us that this man, Nimrod, is a mighty hunter. And it tells us just how powerful of a mighty hunter he is. Now, when you think mighty hunter, don't think loincloth, bow and arrow, hunting down gazelle. Okay, that's not what it's talking about because Genesis 10 tells us that um, he was a builder of great cities. He built cities so great that his cities would absorb other cities that were right around them. One of the cities that he was the founder of was a city named Nineveh. Anybody heard of that name before? He founded it. It was a great city of a great civilization, and he was the leader of it. Nimrod's name means he rebels. And the Bible is telling us that he, as a great mighty hunter, a political leader, a civilization organizer, it's certain that he is the person who's behind building the city of Babel, which in the Bible would turn into the city of Babylon and the country of Babylon. Has anybody ever heard the name Babylon in the Bible? In verse 3, they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. What does it mean to burn a brick thoroughly? Now, this, uh, the writer of Genesis um, uses the word burning twice in a row here, which is why it says burn them thoroughly. But it's pretty certain that what he's talking about here is um, not only did they fire the bricks once physically, but they also were offering sacrifices They were offering sacrifices in rebellion against God because the city was not being built on a love of God, the glory of God, obedience to God. This is a city and a civilization that is being built and founded in a rebellion against God. And they had brick for stone and they had bitumen for mortar. Now bitumen is like a kind of like a tar asphalt, now we find out later in the Bible that there's two other cities that are very closely related to this city that Nimrod built. One of them is called Sodom and the other was called Gomorrah. Does anybody remember how those cities met their end? Um, and it, I mean, it can make a lot of sense how both of those cities would burn down to nothing, especially if the mortar in between all the bricks of all the buildings was tar. Doesn't take much to set that city on fire. And they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth and now we now we totally have the formula for how an entire civilization could be built in a way that displeases god and in rebellion against god all you need is you need one very powerful singular leader And this powerful singular leader will be a man of lawlessness, a man of rebellion, a man who um, wants to set himself up as the most powerful person for all other people to look at. And there's one thing that he will promise to the people in order for them to work really hard to build his civilization in a city that could be named after him, a city that would be a great glory and honor to him. And what's the thing that he would need to do? He would need to give people a sense of fear, They would have to be afraid of being dispersed so that they'd be willing to work together and to be part of his city. Right here, what you have in the opening chapter of Genesis is is the foundation of what is going to repeat itself throughout biblical history and so many times in human history. A tyrant man who wants to set himself up as the person for everybody else to look to will sow into the seeds of people a great sense of fear and then after making them fearful Then what he will promise is safety and security If we all just stick together And one of the things that they will always promise is If we build this we'll get up to heaven And every city and every civilization is like this See On one hand, you could say, well, if Nimrod was a person who rebelled against God, and if Nimrod was building a whole civilization in opposition to God, then what in the world is he doing building a tower up to heaven? But he's no fool, and no tyrant ever is. Every tyrant will always promise us something from heaven. Because in every culture, no matter what culture it is, Even in a culture that is rejecting God, and I would argue, and I think everybody can come with me, does anybody have any inkling that we're living in a culture that's growingly desiring to reject God? Well, how would you do that? How would people ever want to follow a leader that is rejecting it and in rebellion against God? Why would anybody do that? They're going to make great promises. And in any culture that's going to reject God, because people are still people and made in the image of God, there are still things that you cannot get us to stop wanting. Does anybody want to get to the end of your life and look back over your life and have it it mean something? See, when they said, Come, let's build a city and let's, let's build a name for ourselves, let's, let's do something that will make it significant that we were even here. Nobody wants to get to the end of their life and look back over 50, 60, 70, 80 years and think to themselves, it didn't even matter that I was ever born. Do you want significance? Does anybody want a sense of togetherness or community? I mean, every civilization... Even with great leaders that are in rebellion against God, one of the things that they will always have to promise is things that come from heaven. A sense of identity, a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, a sense of significance. There's always a hierarchy of values. Something has to be at the very top to say, that is worthy of pursuing. And can't you see what a very extremely wicked person will do is not tell you, hey, who wants to come worship the devil and drink blood with me today? You know? No, no wicked person is ever going to do that. What are they going to do? They're going to take the good things of heaven and get you to try to grab a hold of them and reject God at the same time. And we're seeing this in our own culture. I could I could talk about this in a hundred ways. I'll just pick one of them. Um, does anybody long for justice today? Anybody lay down your head on a pillow at the end of the day and say, oh, man, if we, if we could just have a world where justice and righteousness, where, where the right thing happened. Anybody want that? Well, what would, a, what would a leader or a culture do if they wanted to pursue justice but tell you that nobody better talk about God when we're doing this? You'd have a whole bunch of people longing for justice. But in a culture where people said, but we don't believe in God or the God of the Bible. Well, then where are we going to get the set of rules to be justly enforced throughout society? Where will we find that? And you can see what could happen. Now, this is just a, you know, I'm just using a fictional illustration What would happen in a society Where everyone was crying out for justice And everybody had a different set of rules For what justice looked like What do you think would happen to that city And civilization This is one of the reasons why the Bible says That the devil does not come With a pitchfork and blood in his mouth The Bible says that when the devil comes He comes as an angel of light He will promise many things from heaven and he will promise that following his way is the way to do it. And this city and civilization was no joke. You'll notice that when the Lord came down in verse five, when the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, he didn't laugh, go back up into heaven and go, well, that's nonsense and silliness. He came down to see it And he said, if I don't don't intervene and do something about it, great, great evil could be done by this project right here. And in his great mercy, he put a stop to it. But he didn't didn't shrug His shoulders at it and say it's no big deal. In verse 5, when it says, the Lord came down to see the city. We understand from this previous chapters in Genesis, the Lord does not come down by himself. This is one of the reasons in the next verse... He he says, come, let us go down and confuse their languages because when God comes down, not only is it Father, Son, and Spirit, but angel throne guardians come down with him, the angelic creatures and beings come down with him. When God comes, he comes with his entire royal court procession. And he comes down to see it. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think Nimrod wanted him to come down and take a look? The answer to that question, friends, is no. No. But it doesn't matter. Because no matter how much someone says, I'm rebelling against God, I reject God, I don't want anything to do with God, it doesn't matter because God still has something to do with you. You didn't create yourself or make yourself. You didn't create the world nor own the world. Everything that you're doing is in his world with everything that he's given you and even while you're trying to reject God or cut yourself off from a relationship with God. Every time you take a breath in you have just breathed his air. We live in his world and he's watching. And And the people in this city and the people building the tower and Nimrod, the leader of this whole project, they all want to live in a world and in a place as if what they can do is live somewhere outside of God's viewpoint, outside of his authority, and outside of his jurisdiction of judgment. But where is there a jurisdiction in all of existence that's outside of his judging sovereign power? Where is that exactly? The answer to the Bible is nowhere. There is nowhere that anyone can ever go. No tower that can build high enough. You can't travel east far enough. Elon Musk could not get in one of his SpaceX things and get outside of it. You can't, you, we live in God's world. We live in God's reality. And God allowed them to build to the precise point that He allowed them to build. And then when it was time for him to put an end to the project, he came down and no one invited him and no one can stop him. God came down and saw that the people had one language. Remember I said one, one lip? He uses that again. This is only the beginning of what they will do. When human beings come together and share a passion to pursue something in devotion together we're powerful why i want to come to that at the end of the sermon we're going to leave that question hanging right there but it's a fact What do you think would have happened if God didn't put an end to this? How bad do you think it would have gotten? What do you think life was like in Babel? What was it like to be in second grade in the school of Babylon under the principal Nimrod? What was it like to live there? What would have happened if after building one Babel then more of those, more cities would have spread out over the whole world? What would have happened is the precondition to the flood would have reproduced itself all over again except God made a promise, a binding promise where he said, I'm never again going to destroy the whole earth with a flood which also means that he is never again going to allow the conditions on the earth to get to a point where a flood would be necessitated. God is going to intervene in his grace and his mercy, and he does. And he comes down, and he confuses their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. I want to ask you a question. When you pick up the newspaper, and you're reading about how one nation is bordering another nation And one nation's national pride and another nation's national pride force them to be at odds with each other. They're both very glad that there's a border between the two of them, and they don't really want to have much to do with each other. Is that a bad thing or a good thing in your estimation? Don't say that out loud. Just think about that. Is that a bad thing or a good thing in your estimation? Now what the Bible is telling us is that we should be very, 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 very thankful for the Certain degree of conflict between the different nations that keep them from working together too closely. Because sinful man, and that's what we are sinful man spread throughout the different nations. If God was to stop restraining the nations from being at a certain amount of odds with each other so that they chose to work together especially if they chose to work together in a philosophical, religious kind of a way, what would happen on the earth would be great, terrible tragedy for us. This is what Genesis 11 is telling us. That God in his mercy came down and said, if they keep working together like this, the earth is going to be filled with great evil. I'm going to purposely divide them up. I'm going to make it so that they do not want to work together. I guess my time's coming to a close. (laughs) Christians, we should be thankful. We should be very suspicious of any movements outside in our society that wants to bring all of the nations together. We should be very suspicious. And we should be praying that God in his mercy keeps a certain amount of animosity, frustration, and confusion between all the groups that want to come and work together. This is a very good thing. It's a gift. And in the Bible, one of the things that it points to, as we head, as we head towards the last days, one of the things that the Bible says will happen is God's restraining power. He will remove his restraining power and people from many, many nations... In rebellion against God will start coming together and sharing a certain ideology, a certain religious belief, a certain alternative way that they can get up into heaven, and they will turn on the church. And there'll be a time of great persecution. And this is why, if you see the name Babel or the name Babylon in the book of Revelation, it is terrible. We should be grateful The Lord dispersed them from there Over the face of all the earth And they left off building the city That's in verse 8 I take this to mean that not only Not only did God Supernaturally move So that culturally they didn't want to be together They wanted to move sort of separate But that also This is the time in ge- you know, geological history um, That the continents also moved Apart from each other that you'd find that in, in chapter 10, we're told that one of the sons uh, lived during the time when the earth was split apart. I take these two things to be related to each other. And so what do we take away from this? We talked about what man did, you know, built a city and a tower, shared one lip, you know, wanted to, Nimrod led this whole civilization. We talked about what God did, he came down and saw it and put his restraining power, separated the nations from each other so they didn't want to collaborate together. What do we take away from this? What do we do? Now, one of the things that I want you to recognize is right here in this story, we have held together two different things that seem so many times in our Life to be separate thoughts. The free actions of free individual people and the sovereign plan of God. We oftentimes feel like those two things can't happen concurrently. Either I'm making choices and doing something or God is, but we're not doing it at the same time. And let me ask you a question Why were the nations all separated from each other and separated by their languages? Why is that? Now, there is a reason. God's judgment on the activity of Nimrod. I mean, Nimrod wanted to create one civilization, and once that project was frustrated, why did the people move away from each other and form different languages? The reason why is because they wanted to. And why are there all the different languages in the world? In our day and age, we're taught that we're supposed to celebrate all diversity. And you know, that is not a biblical viewpoint. We don't celebrate diversity for diversity's sake. We celebrate holiness. We celebrate what God has made beautiful. And right here we're told, like, why is there so much cultural diversity in the world? And the reason why is because of God's judgment. God came down and said what you're doing to unify together I am against this and I'm going to judge you and I'm going to push you apart and you're going to form all different kinds of cultures and you're going to do it because of my judging hand. And people moved apart from each other because they wanted to. They formed borders between each other. I mean it still would take the best from each other. You know like I don't know. In general, Americans have a certain animosity for Canadians, yes. But if their maple syrup is coming across the border, we're okay with that. We'll give them cheeseburgers, they give us maple syrup, there's a, but there's a limit to our working together. And the reason why is there, there's a reason. And people freely choose that. But what's God's reason? Well, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Why is there ethnic cultural diversity in the world? Because apparently it glorifies Jesus Christ more to be worshipped in different languages than one language. And they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they were crying out with a loud voice, So get that? There's many languages, but there's one thing that they're all saying. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So are there many different languages and many different cultures because people choose to move apart from each other? The answer to that question is yes. But in the sovereign plan of God, the reason why there are many different cultures and many different nations and many different languages is because many languages in many cultures, brings more glory to Jesus Christ than just one culture. As long as what's on the lips of all of these people, no matter what language it's in, no matter what culture it's in, no matter what nation it's in, is that same confession. Salvation belongs to our God. What I'm telling you is even the terrible events that happen in the book of Genesis, there are human reasons for things to happen, and God's actions and his judgments are happening in here, but ultimately, God is not, he did not start the Bible off and then is making it up as he goes along, surprised by the developments that are happening here. The Bible tells us that there's a plan that starts in the beginning, plays out through human actions, but... Always completely and thoroughly and absolutely follows according to his plan and that plan ends up and we get a picture of what it's like in the book of Revelation. Okay, um, one other thing that this means. Um, I mean, I was thinking all week long about, you know, it doesn't, we don't get a lot of details in here About what life was like in second grade in Babel It's a thought experiment You know, What's it like there But I, I know what it's like don't you Have you ever had a goal that you thought was really worthwhile And that goal was worthwhile to you And you thought to yourself Boy, I got, I really, I'm going to have to really do something to make this happen I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to give it my best effort. I might have to call in some other advisors to help me with this. I really got to work on this project. And do you ever get a, a day, a week, a year, two years down the road, and then you start? You sort of one day you kind of wake up and you ask yourself, "Am I doing this on my own, or is God in this?" Am I building this with bricks that I've fired thoroughly? Or is God building this? Is this thing for His glory? Or is it about me? Anybody ever had a week like that? And the Bible tells us there's only, there's only one way that you can ever please God. Faith. And without it, without faith, no matter what else you put into it, this means that everything that, we're, everything that we do What makes it last? What makes it meaningful? What makes it fulfilling? It's not the amount of muscle you put into it. A lot of muscle went into the tower. A lot of muscle. No faith. Are you, um, moms, are you raising children today? Does it take some muscle? More than you have on some days, yes? Are you praying with your kids and are you studying God's word? Are you, you, know, are you protecting them? Are you, you, can do, you can do all those things and you should do them. But what do you really need to parent? I mean, really. What do you really need in order to raise up your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord? You know it. Faith. Is God doing this through me, or am I doing this? Because you know, you, parents, you know, you lay your head on the pillow at night, and have you ever, can you ever lay your head on the pillow and go, yep, I've taken care of everything. No chance of failure here, I did it. Have you ever laid your head on the pillow? How can you ever sleep at night in peace? One way, faith. Lord, I'm looking to your word, and when your, Lord, when your word tells me to do it, I'm doing it in your way. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm doing it your way. But I know ultimately what's, gonna, what's really going to bring my kids, what's really going to shape their lives. is. It's not just my hands, it's you through my hands. Anybody here having financial trouble or financial worries, watching your 401k sink further and further? What brings financial stability? Another contract? Another great performance review? Faith. How do we handle money in a way that pleases God? You can build a financial tower for yourself. You'll never finish it. This is one of the reasons why the tithe, I mean, is such a perfect thing for us. A test of faith, perfect test of faith. Do you believe that giving 10% to the kingdom? He's a king. He does levy a tax. That's It's true. Not, it's not our tax. We're just, this is a, you know, this is a, a, a local distribution center for his, that's his thing. And at the core of it, everybody makes a decision. But do the math. If I give him 10%, that means I only have 9 cents or 90 cents on the dollar. So, 90% with faith or 100% on your own? Which one of those do you think is actually going to help you get further in goals and the things that you have to do? You pick. we read the Bible in faith I don't care how many study Bibles you have or how many Greek and Hebrew things you have how does this ever become God's word to you personally is it the Greek, Hebrew study Bible, Reformation study Bible NIV men's there's one thing that makes this God's word to you, what's that? faith and what's the thing that all the citizens of babel had in common i'm gonna i'm gonna do it on my own without him we don't live in that city end of the Bible, the people don't build at the end of the Bible, the people don't build the new capital city of the kingdom of heaven. We didn't build it. How did it come? It comes out of the sky as a gift. There's only one tower anyone can ever climb that will go up into heaven and that tower was the cross of Jesus Christ lifted up and the only way any of us will ever ever see God and live is in faith You can't save yourself. There's only one person that can. And there's no amount of moral rule following that you can do that will make up for your sin. If you got a hundred new starts... You'd end up at a different place but in the same country called lost. There's only one way to have peace with God. And it's not by you getting on the cross, crucifying yourself. He came out of heaven as a gift. And this is one of the reasons why he told his disciples, when you get together, take the bread and take the cup and remember me. We're not building a salvation of our own. So I'm going to ask that you take out your elements and would you stand as we wrap up the service today. On the night that he was betrayed his disciples. He took the bread and, and he broke it. He didn't lead a cooking class. He didn't get out the flour. And, okay, guys, let me show you how to make your own bread. He didn't teach them how to make it. He taught them how to receive it. Salvation from start to finish is a gift. He took the bread and he lifted it up to his heavenly father and he thanked him. And then he looked them looked right in the eye that night. This This is my body, broken for you. New life and hope and heaven and salvation only comes in one place. There's only one tower. There's only one cross. So we don't make the bread. We didn't make his body. We broke it though. plan that was a good thing and you know that there's nothing special about this cracker I feel bad I always make fun of the cracker I apologize cracker company I'm sorry I just I know a lot of you come from a Catholic kind of a background and it's like man I, if I eat this cracker if I just My relationship to this cracker is the thing. No, it's not. This cracker is a symbol. Are you living by faith in the gift of God's grace for you? You didn't earn it. You certainly didn't, nor ever will, deserve it. That's why it's called mercy. And that's why it's called grace. His body broken for you if that's where your faith is at is in him and not you then take and receive it all the way and he held up a cup and said this cup is my blood my life for yours is what he said My life for yours. Have you made that trade? His life for yours? He got the short end of that stick with you. Gift. He said, this is a new covenant in my blood. That blood is the only thing that can cleanse our sins if you know you've sinned and if you know that his blood is the only cleansing then let's receive the cleansing let's take and drink let's pray Heavenly Father I just offer this whole sermon time up in faith parts that were the parts that were just me just Lord, let those just blow away like chaff, just to be forgotten about. And the, and the parts that what you had for us this morning, from your word, let those real seeds get into the fertile ground of our hearts and our minds, and take root and grow. And Lord, we believe that they will, because you told us in your word, your word does not it never goes out and does not accomplish its purpose. And let that purpose be fruitful for us personally. And I pray all this in Christ's name.